following message is by Eugene Ahn of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning, family. How's everybody doing? If you guys don't know who I am, my name's Eugen. I'm the youth pastor here at Emmanuel, and uh, I've been, I'm on the rotation with Pastor Reggie and one of our elders, Paul Kim, and we've been talking through the book of 2 Timothy. Now, just to open it up, uh, I'm going to share a story about myself, and it's a pretty honest story, so some people know me here, some people don't, and I have shared this story to Emmanuel before, so if you've heard it before, then you get to hear it again. <laughs> we've never heard it, this will be your first time. Uh, in 2009, I didn't realize it, but my life was about to change radically, beyond what I was expecting. At that time, I was a youth pastor down in the city in Albany Park, and the ministry was awesome. Kids, gang kids, come to Christ, great following, leaders being recruited. It was just an incredible, incredible time. I would have these amazing Sundays where I'd be recruiting, training, and um, I should be honest, I love going to them. People loved me. <laughs> People loved it when I showed up. They laughed at all my jokes. I mean, why wouldn't wanna, I want to go to something like that, right? And so ministry was going great, and it was excellent. But to keep it on the real, my marriage was awful. I would come home after an amazing ministry, sort of almost floating into the door. And literally, as I closed the door, at the click of the door, the lock, that's when everything changed. The attitudes The short tempers, the anger, the yelling, the fighting. I did not know what to do. I loved ministry because it loved me. I felt like an irreplaceable person. And I loved it there. But my marriage was falling apart. And people, like, when I say this, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. No, I'm serious. Like, we were on the way to divorce. Like, I did not know what to do. I had no words. I had no strength and no ability in and of myself to do anything. And so this one particular time in 2009, like I was saying, we had an amazing Sunday training. It was just so awesome. And God was doing great things. And I came home and it was like World War III. And it was brutal. And Cynthia went to our bedroom. I sat on the couch And there is this book sitting there that my wife had bought me. My wife buys me books. It does not mean that I read them, but she does buy them for me. And this book in particular, it was called Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar. I don't know why I picked it up. I normally am not a reader. I will just go to YouTube and, you know, drown my sorrows in YouTube watching sneaker videos. But anyway, so I was picked up the book. And I started reading this chapter about pastors and their family. And I read this verse here, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. And it's talking about pastors. It says, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And I read that by myself. 
And the author was saying, if your house is out of control, you need to get out of ministry. I'm sorry, you're not living up to the call. And I was at this crossroads because I loved ministry. And the way I describe it to people is that ministry became my mistress. I did not commit any moral failure, but I was giving 150% to my ministry, and I had nothing left for my family. And so I came to this crossroad, and I really had to ask myself this question. Are you going to listen to God's word Are you going to do your own thing? I had to make a decision at that moment. And you know what? If I stayed in that ministry, I don't think anyone would argue with it. Yes, stay, please. Don't worry. You know, marriages, they're not perfect. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. You can stay. Do your thing. But I had to make this choice. Am I going to listen to God's word? Or am I going to to do my own thing? And I think that's the question God is asking each and every one of us this morning. I don't know your lives. A lot of you I don't know personally. But this may be the question about your marriage. This may be the question about your job. About relationships that you know that are not what God has intended. And the question being asked to us this morning is, are you going to listen to God's word Are you just going to do what you want to do, what you've always intended to do on your own? You see, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy as a father speaks to a son. A loved one speaks to another one and just warning him and letting him know, hey, there's some bad people out there. There's some people that you just don't want to associate with, people that you don't want to hang around with. And they were considered the false teachers. Listen to what Paul tells him in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understanding nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So these false teachers were infiltrating the church the people of God. And they were coming in not to follow Christ's teaching, but they were there to create their own sect, their own group, their own following. And Paul is telling Timothy, watch out for these false teachers. And that is really what we're going to be talking about today in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now we're doing the whole book. Don't worry. I'm not going to be here for an hour and a half. We're going to go through it together and walk through the passage together. So if you do have your Bibles here this morning, you can follow with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and just keep it open. Keep your Bible open, your iPhone open, whatever whatever you're using this morning. But let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Your first question may be this. What are the last times? What are we talking about? And I pulled up this picture here. This is like a post-apocalyptic Chicago rendering. And so if you're into like the walking dead, you know what post-apocalypse looks like. Everything's torn apart, fallen apart. And typically when we hear the word last days, this is what we think of, right? It's zombies have come out. No, I don't, I don't, that's not in the Bible. I don't know. Okay. So I just saw a car in the parking lot the other day that said zombie response team vehicle. I'm like, Seriously? Is this a thing? I don't know. I'm losing touch. But when we think of the last days, this is what we think of. But I'm going to show you the picture of what the last days look like. Isn't that nice? It's a pretty day in Chicago. This is the last days. The last days are understood as the time after Jesus' resurrection, Easter that we just celebrated, and before Jesus' second coming. So when Paul wrote this letter, he was speaking of the last days. Today, we are living in the last days. It is the final chapter. It is the fourth quarter. It is the last act. And we are waiting for Christ's imminent return. Tom's constable says this, they are last not because they are few, but because they are the final days of the present age. So I want to put this in context. The last days, it's not some other time that we're waiting for, you know, some crazy tribulation era, but we are living in that. We're living in that now. So this message applies to us today and how we are to be living in the last days. Now, Paul is going to lay out for us, what does it look like? What do people live like? What's their mentality? What are they thinking? And I broke it down into two phrases. Hopefully, it's easy to remember. But living in the last days, you're going to have this attitude. Independence from God means independence from his word. Independence from God means independence from his word. And so Paul describes these people, right? And I've never really talked about people in this kind of way, but it feels like this run-on sentence that keeps on going and going and going. I'm just going to list it off really quickly. But these false teachers, they're proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. And then the unstatements, they're ungrateful, unholy, unloving, heartless, unappeasable, The way they speak to people, speak about, they're slanderous. They cannot control themselves. They're brutal, unloving of good. They're traitors, they're betrayers, they're reckless, and they're swollen with conceit. I'm pretty sure every one of us, we're thinking of somebody at work right now. Oh yeah, I know who this is, (laughs) right? Maybe it's this guy. Arrogance. It helps when the little people understand you're simply better than they are. And that's the mindset of these false teachers. I am so important. I'm doing me. I'm doing it my way, like Frank Sinatra sings, right? At the heart of these individuals, they love themselves. They love money. They love pleasure. Any hedonistic desire. And they'll do anything to get 
what they want. And this is the kicker. This is the part that really hit me when I was preparing this message. That these false teachers have an appearance. Having the appearance of godliness. But denying its power. Avoid such people. These are religious people. And Steve, if, doctor, if you've been here for Dr. Steve's sermons, he's been talking about Christians that do churchy things. They do churchy stuff. They're at services. They give offering. They're doing all the right things. So outwardly, we would think, hey, we're on the same team. But there's something so different about their lives. And his way is the way their character is expressed. And the way they're living out their lives. They don't have the transforming power of the gospel at work in them. Everything is an outward appearance, but inwardly nothing is changing. Jesus warns us of these false teachers. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 19, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear bad fruit. But every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their life. You will recognize them by their actions. One pastor said it like this. These people are professing Christians, but they are functional atheists. They profess that they follow Christ. They obey him. They do whatever he says, but their life speaks totally otherwise. One of my friends, his name is Brian Dye. I'm giving him a shout out. He's uh, one of the leaders at Vision Nehemiah. He serves at GRIP. Uh, ministries. And he said this on his Twitter feed, and, and I felt my heart resonated with this. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, but not your Lord, then he isn't your Savior. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, but not your Lord and Master, then he isn't your Savior. And that hit me so hard, because back in the day, I believed if you professed, if you made the confession, You said the prayer, yes, I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I confess and I am saved. And after that confession, their life looked completely opposite of a Christian. And I didn't know how to reconcile it. But this statement helps me understand what does it mean? What does it look like? If you profess that Christ is your Savior, but he is not your master, he is not your Lord, I'm going to keep it real. He's not your savior. You don't need him. He's just a monument, a little relic in your house. He's a nice little thing you wear around your neck. But he is not telling you how to live your life. This is how I would describe the false teachers, but people that profess Christ, but live a completely different life. I have a three-year-old in the house, all right? Now, people say terrible twos. I've got four children, 
My third one is at three years old. Terrible twos, they're okay. They're bad. But three is horrendous. I, I couldn't think of a good acronym, but it's awful. And dealing with my three-year-old, in every three, I don't want to just call out one. Because one day they'll hear this sermon and be like, Dad, why'd you talk about me? So all my children, you're all bad at three. Okay, so at three years old, they realize, I don't have to do what they say. I can say no. And so I'm go, I've gone through these with my children say, hey, I need you to go do this. No. And this is the first time they're saying it. So, they're, you know, they're testing it out. No, no, I told you, go do that. No. All right. This is not okay. This is not okay at all. And Cynthia and I will sometimes look at each other like, it's your turn. I can't do it. I can't do it. They will call DCFS on me. I cannot do it. Right? And so they they have the heart saying, I don't want to do it your way. And that is how these people treat God. God commands them and leads them and says, I want you to follow my way. And they say, I love forgiveness. I love this idea of heaven. But please do not ask me to do anything I do not want to do. Please don't inconvenience my life. Because I got plans. I got dreams. I got hopes. I got to do my thing. How would you characterize your faith this morning? Independence from God means independence from his word. You're just saying, you know what, God, you and I, we're cool. I'll give you some dap. Hit the rock. We're good. But don't tell me to do something. As one of my friends once told me, I was trying to help him jog and run. I'm like, dude, you're doing a great job. And he was so irritated. He's like, you're not the boss of me. I was like, we're grown men, man. Don't, okay, don't, you don't have to run if you don't want to. But that's the, I, that's the mentality. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. I live my own life. I do what I want, how I want. And that is the mentality of of these false teachers, these false prophets. How would you characterize your life this morning? And this is where we got to do the gut check. This is where you have to look at your own life. And if you need help, if your spouse is here, they love keeping it real, right? If I ask my wife, I asked her this morning, how's the shirt look on me? Too tight? She's like, no, it looks good. I trust her. But if I'm looking funky or crazy, like she, I'm just going to tell you the story. She doesn't like me rocking hats backwards. She's like, you look like a thug. Don't go out like that. And I sadly put it away. She's like, you're a, you're a father of four people. How can you dress like that? But I like dressing like that. So if I'm wearing my hat backwards, please, I'm in my moment. <laughs> okay. But really, independence from God is independence from his word. We don't want to do things his way. And so what does Paul tell him? Paul tells Timothy, avoid these people. Avoid them. Does that mean that we don't minister the gospel to them? I mean, they need to hear about Christ. I'm going to put it to you like this. If you've got children or you've got friends of friends, and when they're hanging out with people you don't like, like my kid, they're hanging out with some kids that I don't really appreciate. I said, please don't hang out with them. Because you know what's going to happen, right? Once they hang out, they start picking up language, attitude, behavior. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy. Avoid these people. Don't let them influence your thoughts, your actions. 
And the psalmist shows it to us like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you see that progression? They begin by just walking with these bad dudes. And then they're like, well, you know, they're not so bad. They start standing and talking like them. And then before they know it, they're sitting and they're talking just like everybody. They're scoffers, mocking, slandering. And that is the kind of transformation that can happen. And so what Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy, avoid these people. Don't hang out with them. Don't be influenced by them. Does that mean we cut ourselves off? Because Christians, we are good about that, aren't we? We like other Christians. We like to hang out with other Christians. They have the same attitudes, same values. And we could easily become this like holy huddle, Christian bubble. But this is what Paul tells Timothy. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading, uh, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So Paul isn't telling Timothy, cut yourself off, don't talk to them, don't look at them. He's saying interact with them, but just be careful. Don't get influenced by them. Don't let their thinking, their mind, their mindset, their rebellion, their independence from God, don't let that influence you. The passage goes on to describe what these people are like. And I'm not going to go into detail, but I did want to read this together. Second, uh, it continues on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also, sorry, I missed that, oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And what Paul is just breaking down is just saying these guys are predatory. They're looking for people that are weak-willed. In this particular instance, they're saying weak-willed women. They are the ones that can connive, deceive, manipulate, use their words to will, place their will upon somebody else. And that is the attitude in the mind of a false teacher. And Janice and Jambres, these two guys were magicians and deceivers. They were the ones that stood in opposition to Moses when Moses was doing miracles of God. Their lives were at stake. And so they had to figure out, how do I replicate this? And they would use deception, illusion. If you think of David Blaine, like the the things that he does, or David Copperfield, these guys are magicians and they're doing illusions to trick. And that is who these people are. They're living independently of God. They're not obeying what God wants them to do. But they're doing their own thing. They're following what their heart's desire is. Themselves. Money. And pleasure. So what is the next lifestyle? And this is where Paul flips the script. He says, and this is how I've categorized it. Dependence on God means dependence on on his word. 
Dependence on God means dependence on His Word. And I'm going to read the second part of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so as we were talking earlier about these false teachers, now he's flipping the script and he's saying, remember me. Paul is saying, remember my life. Remember how I lived, what I stood for. And he breaks it down like this. You know my teaching. You know my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You know my suffering. You know who I am. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is, Watch me. Watch me. He tells us to the, the, the church in Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. Remember how I lived. Remember my life. And this is the thing that you may have forgotten, but Paul was gangster before. And not a good gangster, but his life was changed radically. These are one of the, he was the number one persecutor. The guy that put people in prison. The guy that witnessed an execution and said, do it. Kill Stephen. His testimony. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, the worst of sinners. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the worst, the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Timothy knew how bad of a dude Paul used to be. And he witnessed Paul get stoned, beat up. I don't know if you guys have ever seen anyone get beat up violently. But to witness something like that and to see someone make it out alive and not change, and be even more committed to the cause. Normally, when you beat somebody up, you're telling them in a very direct way, stop 
what you're doing. If you keep it up, I will be back. Does Paul get the message? Uh-uh. He's like, you don't like me? Fine. I'm going to go to another city. He gets beat up in another city. He lists three cities where he gets knocked around and Timothy is watching. Usually, at least when I, when I was in the city, if you saw your boy getting beat up, normally you would jump in and say, oh, no, this is my guy. But I don't know. Timothy's just like, I am with him, but he's got this. He's good. Right? Paul never changed. He was so committed to Christ and on fire for him. And this testimony about his life, I was the worst. I was the worst of sinners. But Christ saved me not so that I can build my brand and start selling Pauline epistles and build an empire, a corporation built around me. Christ saved me so when people see me, they see Christ at work. If Jesus can save someone so messed up, so rotten, so nasty like that, who cannot be saved? Who cannot be saved? Who is outside of the circle? I just can't understand it. Paul lived this life. And Paul is telling Timothy, continue on in what you've learned and firmly believed. Watch me. And I ask you this morning, if someone came up to you and said, you know, I'm really interested in knowing about Jesus and I know you're a Christian. What do I do? Could you use these words and say, watch me. Watch how I live my life for the Lord. Follow me and you will learn. When I heard a message that challenged me in that way, and I, was, I, was the, I am the youth pastor here, that shook me to the core. Because I had to take some honest inventory about my life. Because I would be this guy. If, I, if someone took a snapshot at that moment, okay, follow Eugene, do whatever he does. They'd be like, he's, he's always watching Netflix. Like, he opens his Bible sometimes. He, he does act like a Christian. But when he's at home, he can't be a little rough around the edges. Paul and Timothy lived together. They ate together. They dined together. And when you spend that much time with somebody, you know what they're about. So how do we become this person? How do we come, become that person that says, if you want to know Christ and what it means to follow him, watch my life. That means we need to depend on God's word to speak to us, speak through us. And he gives us this passage. So Paul is telling Timothy, this is how you do it. You saw my life. Your mother, your mother and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice, they taught you from when you were a baby, they taught you the scriptures of God. You have these godly examples in your life, but how did they do it? It was by this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, which is rebuking, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We go to the word, the scriptures, to hear the voice of God. It is not like, oh, but we read the words. And what Paul is telling us, this is God speaking to us. This is the very breath of God. This is the heart of God. And this is how we know how to live, that he is speaking to us. There's so many times where people have encouraged me using scripture. And there have been so many times also where I've been convicted by scripture to lead me in a certain direction. Now, I'm going to share a story about Uber. I don't know how many Uber drivers are in here. I will need a ride later. No, I'm just kidding. But Uber is, a, if you don't know what it is, it's like this, um, <laughs> it's a taxi service for regular people. Anyone can become an Uber driver. I don't work for Uber, so please don't, I don't have a link for you to connect to. Anyway, so what they do is you connect online and uh, you say, I need a ride. And they come and they pick you up as regular people. They drive to where you got to go. There's no cash exchange and, and you make money. And I heard these advertisements on the radio, you know, become an Uber driver. You can make like $400 in a month. And I don't know about you, but for me, every month, my paycheck goes to bills, mortgage, children. Eugene does not get fun money. I want some fun money, man. I want, I want to have a good time with some money. And so I'm like, Uber will give me fun money. I can finally buy the stuff that I want to buy and not what my kids want. And so I, I emailed Cynthia the link and I'm like, check out this YouTube. I mean, I'm really thinking about doing Uber. And my wife, the voice of reach, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. And then I started, no, no, really, I think it's a great idea. You guys will be sleeping. I'll be driving, making money. I mean, it'll be awesome. Friday night, I know the city. I can take people. And she's like, well, what about people getting in our car drunk? I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. Don't worry. I can make fun money. Don't you want fun money? I want fun money. And then we spoke to some friends like, yeah, dude, Uber's the best. And we're like, oh, man. And then one morning... I opened up the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.22. And Paul is telling Timothy, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Oh, man. That means all that fun money's gone. Paul is telling Timothy, don't run after all this other stuff. But what I want you to be pursuing It's righteousness, faith, love. And I surrender that to God. I say, God, you have given me enough. And I'm just not going to have fun money till my kids leave the house. (laughs) But I trust in you. And I want to pursue after you. And not after these other things. It's not just reading the word. Because all of us can read it. We may have... Pictures in our house that say it, but it's surrendering to the voice of God. Saying, God, you are right. I am wrong. Philip Yancey wrote this piece about Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And he said, the historian of Alcoholics Anonymous titled his work, Not God, because he said that stands as the most important hurdle an addicted person must surmount to acknowledge deep in the soul, not being God. No mastery of manipulation and control at which alcoholics excel can overcome the root problem. Rather, the alcoholic must recognize individual helplessness and fall back in the arms of the higher power. First of all, we had to quit playing God, concluded the founders of AA, and then allow God himself to play God in the addict's life which involves daily, even moment-by-moment surrender. Now, you may not attend AA. I'm not accusing you of being an alcoholic. But I think there's something so precious for us here this morning. The same with anyone that is addicted to something. We are addicted to ourselves. We want to do what we want to do. And that is the fight between us and God. But we need to recognize we are not God. We need to take ourselves off the throne. Say, I am not God. I need you, Lord, to lead me and to guide me in this life. Moment by moment, surrendering to God. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And submitting to it. And surrendering to it, saying, God, I want to go your way. That is when you begin to learn what it means to follow the master, to follow the Lord, and surrendering your will. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Son of God, had every opportunity to get out of it. But even he confessed, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And this is where Jesus is challenging us this morning. Are you going to listen to the voice of God this morning? Are you going to leave these doors and just keep doing what you've always wanted to do? Not ask God, God, I don't want your opinion. I got a plan. Are you ready to get out of the throne Lord, I surrender myself to you and your will. Getting back to 2009, I came to that crossroads. And reading this verse, I had to admit my house was out of control. I had to admit that I should not be a minister of the Lord at that time. And it was one of the hardest things I had to ever do was to give my resignation to that church that I deeply loved, cared for, blood, sweat, tears, all of the above. And I said, I am not living according to what God is calling me to. And I submitted to it. Does that mean you're going to understand at that moment? No. And I've shared testimony. So when I came to this church, I cried for the first two or three services. What am I doing here? What am I doing in an Asian American church in the suburbs? It's like the last place on earth I wanted to be. But I was submitting to God and trusting in him. 
and trusting in his timing and just saying, you got a plan. I'm just here for the ride. If you came up to me and someone asked me this question the other day, do you miss it? Do you miss urban ministry? I will say, yes, I do. I do miss it. I do miss living in Albany Park. People are like, do you got a house? You got a yard? Yes, I'm very thankful for two bathrooms. And I'm very thankful for a yard my kids can play. I'm thankful that I don't have drug dealers on the corner. I am incredibly, incredibly grateful. But in my heart of hearts, there is that longing, that yearning. What do I do? I have surrendered to this verse. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I have surrendered to this verse. God knows way better than I do. God knows. And by the grace of God, Cynthia and I will be celebrating 10 years of marriage this June. And God has turned a 180 in our marriage. And sometimes we joke, we're like, was it ever really that bad? The voice of reason, yeah, it was. It was awful. It was terrible. But God has done the work in us. Please don't come up to me like, how did you do it? It wasn't me. It was God working in Cynthia and myself and just continuing to submit and surrender and just say, okay, I am not all that in a bag of chips. I, I need to listen. I need to respond. I need to lead in God's direction. God, lead me, empower me to do that. And this is the truth that all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you, man and woman of God, may be fully equipped for every good work. Are you ready this morning to surrender to him? Are you going to listen to God's word? Are you going to do your own thing? Let's go to the Lord and pray this morning. As I welcome the worship team up, I want to invite you to do a gut check. Evaluate your heart. Where are you at? Have you been leading your own life? Have you been professing to be a Christian, but you and God have two totally different agendas? Or this morning is God cutting you to the heart and saying, this morning I want you to surrender to me. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and light. Learn from me, and I will teach you. Christ is calling us to himself, not by your own might, By your own power, all you have to do this morning is to let go, surrender to God, and let his word, let him speak to you and lead you. Let's pray.